0: Welcome to the Underground Mess Hall. This is your host, Finn McHale. Today I've got uh, two stories that I really want to get into. The first is about the Jacksonville Jaguars and Urban Meyer hire. I I have a perspective that I don't see many other people taking. I think they're too hyper-focused on Urban Meyer rather than the whole organization and the possible benefits they're getting. And the second story is about a uh series, Record of Ragnarok A seinen manga series that's been in serialization since uh, November 5th, 2017 So, let's get right on into it So, the with the Jacksonville Jaguars So, in, on January 14th of this year, 2021 They hired Urban Meyer Now, prior to hiring Meyer There were reports that he was assembling his coaching staff in case he did get the position. And on top of that, the Jaguars are sitting in the position with the number one pick, which is more than likely going to be Trevor Lawrence. They also have, last I checked, up to $76 million in cap space. That's the most in the NFL. They also have a new general manager, and Trent Balky. Also, the current age range of the roster is between 34 to 24, and 25 of the players, last I checked, are 26 or younger as of this podcast. Now, I really think we need to look at, you know, what does all this mean? So, let's start off with the biggest thing. Don't expect a Super Bowl win for the Jaguars under Urban Meyer. I don't really think we're gonna see him with a super with a Super Bowl win. Now, going forward, then why do I think this is a big deal? You know, why do I think this is major for Jaguars? Well, I think this is more likely a culture reboot because it's one thing to have talent and have really good players, but if you don't have a good culture you're not really gonna get anywhere. I mean, look at the Dolphins. You know, under Brian Flores, they rebooted their culture, and it's been really successful. Now they didn't make the playoffs, but they did have a winning season, ten and six. They're really good, and they have a lot of talent. And I think that's the same thing with Jacksonville, and they have the best setup for this because it really seems like with the new general manager that. Balky and Meyer want to be on the same page. And another benefit is Khan is known as very much as a hands-off owner, but he seems to be tapping a little bit more into uh, what's going on with the Jaguars. And I think that's a good thing because he's not, it doesn't seem like, at least from what I'm seeing, he's going overboard, but he's going in just enough that it should really, there should be more attention paid to that. On top of that, um, we cannot ignore Myers' health issues, but I think it's a short-term risk that the Jaguars are taking, and then, because what I think it is, is this isn't just a culture reboot for the organization, but for the players, and particularly the coaching staff. I, and now, with that, let's look into the advantages and disadvantages of this hire. All right. There are the advantages which are really, really great. Okay. The front office and the coaching staff appear to be on the same page. And not only that, they seem to want to be on the same page and work together. They've also got the number one pick, which is going to be Trevor Lawrence, who's a generational talent. But on top of that, you have one of the youngest, if not one of the youngest, rosters in the NFL currently. So that's really big because if you're going to reboot the culture you have a bunch of young guys Okay, they know what the standard is going to be and what's going to be expected so even if Meyer leaves or a lot of coaching staff leaves you'll have the players go you know self correct themselves and say hey we need to be doing better with this this and this this is what we do well but they also have that 76 million dollars in cap space which is still the most as of right now I believe that is big because you know, there's a lot of moves you can make with that to pick up players or sign people to content. just that's really good. Another major advantage and the last one I'll talk about, Urban Meyer's college experience and his knowledge. Over the next couple years, you're going to see players that Urban has either coached against or coached for. I think that's important because that knowledge you bring, yes, even in the NFL, it's a higher standard of play and a higher standard versus college, that's still invaluable knowledge to have that coach to know how those players are used and how they might be switched up. Now, let's go to the disadvantages. And this is where it gets really interesting because everything I've talked about up until now has mainly been about the organization itself and how they're very set up. All the disadvantages mainly fall on Meyer. One of those is that head coaching in the NFL is a high, super-stressed job. And like I said, we can't ignore the health issues. You know, he his longest head coaching stint was with the, with the Ohio State Buckeyes, which was six years. His average, though, is about three years, three and a quarter, if you do all the math. And I, I think that's really the only major disadvantage. And so then the question you have to ask now is, why would Jacksonville willingly take on this risk if they know it's a extremely high-stress job and the performance expected is really, really high? Well, what I'm looking at is the situation as a whole. Yes, there is a lot to go on with Urban Meyer and a lot to have to deal with. However, I still think the focus is too much on Meyer when you compare the advantages to the disadvantages at this point there's so much going for them it makes no sense to not pick up Urban Meyer in my opinion because now you're going to be put in a prime position I think it's going to be 5-6 years for them to start becoming super successful but I think these next 2-3 years I think is all about a culture reboot now on top of that, now there are some people, you know, like my dad, you know, he thinks, you know, the over under is two years for Urban Meyer. But I just think, you know, there's too many positive things that Shad Khan, Trent Balk are looking at and going, Alright, we'll take on this risk because we think we can progress forward and I think they can. And I think that's what needs to be focused on. So that's my current take on the Jacksonville Jaguar situation. now then on to record of ragnarok so as i stated earlier in the podcast record of ragnarok is it's a seinen manga series now you may have heard shonen and seinen. they refer to the demographics shonen it's usually for like middle to early high school boys and seinen is for late to college, you know, like basically around 17, 18 up. So for anybody who was listening, you know, please be aware of what you're getting into, and please like check what the content is. Now, let's get a little background information on Record of Ragnarok, also known as Shuumatsu no Valkyrie. So, unlike most other shonen or seinen series. That I've seen or read, it's not one person who's doing both the story and the art. There's actually two authors, Shinya Umemura and Takemi Hukui, and then there's an artist, Ajichika. And I think that there's a lot of benefits there, you know, but that'll be for later. So the basic story of Record of Ragnarok is this every thousand years, the gods hold a vote on humanity's fate. And this most recent time they all voted unanimously against humanity and so they're going to wipe it from extinction. However, before they do anything, Brunhilda, the leader of the Valkyrie shows up and invokes the super special clause of of the of the Ragnarok Constitution. I may have gotten that wrong but it... Now this, con, this was initially a joke because normally humans can't kill gods but... Zeus, you know, the chairman of the gods, is really intrigued, so he decides to let it go forward. Now, when we get to the first fight, oh, before I discuss that, so part of the clause is that there's going to be 13 fights. 13 humans versus 13 gods in a tournament style. And whoever reaches seven victories first... You know, basically gets their way. If the humans win, they, they get to live another thousand years. If the gods win, they get to wipe out humanity. So the first fight is Lubu versus Thor. Now one of the big things we find out is most weapons cannot kill gods. You need a divine weapon to kill god. And so this is why Zeus entertains this because he wants to see how Brunhilde is going to pull this off. Well, we find out why. The Valkyries have this ability called Volund. Basically, by giving their life or matching, you know, wavelengths. I guess it's not. A, I don't remember exactly how they describe it, but basically, when you share, when they share life, you know, or commit to each other, the Valkyries can turn into a divine weapon that can now harm the gods. And so this is how they get equal footing. It's their kind of cheat code, essentially. Now, there are consequences to the Volan, though. The major consequence is that even if the weapon itself is not damaged, but the fighter dies, such as in Adam versus Zeus, the knuckle-duster that the Valkyrie turned into wasn't damaged, but because Adam died, the Valkyrie died, since they're sharing in each other's life. And because this is taking place in Heaven in the Valhalla Arena... If you die here, which is your spirit body, the way I remember it being described, is that it's permanent death. You go to Nifl Hell, and you get cast out of the cycle of reincarnation. Now, this is where it leads to what I'm interested in, and that is with the current events that have recently happened. So, one of the gods fighters is Buddha, and we get introduced to him in Chapter 32. And between chapters, I think it's 32 to 35, there's these set of events where Loki confronts Buddha and is like, you know, I was at first confused about this Volan technique, but then I realized something. This seems really familiar to one of your teachings. Now, he rambles on, but basically what he says is one of Buddha's teachings was this thing called devotion, in which when two people share a lotus, essentially their power grows exponentially or even greater and because he talked on for so long buddha was kind of like all right get to the point what are you talking about dude so at that point loki goes are you a traitor and buddha says so what if i am and then there's this whole confrontation with some of the human fighters including kojiro sasaki the winner of the third fight against poseidon you know, who's healing from his wounds, and two other fighters I can't remember them coming to back up Buddha while the seven lucky gods and Loki are attempting to kill Buddha? It's broken up by Odin and Zeus, they tell everyone to knock it off, and you know, it's whatever. Now, in chapter between chapters 41 to 43, the fifth fight ends, which was Raiden Pamemon versus Shiva, and Shiva wins. So up until at this point, you know, it's now the gods have three wins, and humanity has two wins. And in further episodes, I'll go deeper into the fight. But for now, let's get back to Buddha. We end up finding out that... Well, Buddha's kind of a really interesting character to say the least. He gets called up by Zeus and he's laying laying on his side you know, holding his head up and he's eating chocolates now I didn't know this until I researched it, but that's a famous pose and image of Buddha in his final days when he dies so I'm queued up to thinking that Buddha will lose this match and die, but not just because of that, but because of some of the things he says too in that span between chapters 31 and 35 or 36 you end up finding out or not finding out but you hear this phrase that buddha says he's like you know in all of heaven and earth only i can move them you know which is a rephrasing of another phrase that buddha has said now i don't remember or know what the exact phrase was, but it's uh, it's a rephrasing of that. And not only that, you know, he hugs Zeus and then leaves, and then he walks across the arena to the human side while Heimdall is calling him out, you know, and going like, "Yeah, Buddha, the man who achieved enlightenment." And then he says, "Yeah, I'm gonna fight for humanity," and it freaks everyone out. Especially the gods, and they start calling him traitor. Now, this is what really cued me up. And that's in chapter 43, when that happens. Here's why I think this is a big deal. Why I think he's going to die. The biggest reason why I think he's going to die is... One. That statement he made about being able to move heaven and earth. To me, that implies he has powers that we may not see... in this fight. And on top of that... this is another thing... that has queued me up... was that pose. Now... there's two narrative things... that can happen... if... he wins or loses. If he wins... all that suspicion... you know... for some of the guys... especially like Loki and any that zeus may have potentially been harboring get vindicated and they'll want to kill him and so will the seven lucky gods on the other hand though if he dies the gods will be put into a false sense of security now this is my theory on why that will be the case i think buddha is the only one that can circumvent the consequences of loot of dying in heaven because i think he's he's the only one that has the power to actually go to niffle hell and leave it and by extension i think he can bring people back now i tried to do some research to see where or if, any myths of him traversing the different realms in, Buddha, in buddhism and i couldn't really find anything you know But I think in some Chinese mythology, you know, he kind of stands above heaven and the Jade Emperor, and he's like all powerful. So I think that might be the inspiration that this version of Buddha is going for, and that's what's going to occur. Now, with that in mind, here are the current people that have lost in Record of Ragnarok. Lu Bu. And his Valkyrie, and I apologize, I can't remember the names right now of the Valkyries, not all of them. So, you have Lubu and his Valkyrie, then you have Adam and his Valkyrie, then you, then Poseidon, then Heracles, then Raiden, Tammumon, and Trus. That's the only one I can remember. Now, Heracles is interesting because he actually supported humanity and doesn't want to see them die. And this is an interesting connection between him and Buddha, is that they are gods who are former humans in the context of Record of Ragnarok. And I think that's something really important to take back from all this, is that, huh, hmm, if that's really what's going on, that humans can become gods. What other ones are there? Won't get into that today, but I just want to plant that seed. And so, I think the tournament of Ragnarok is not the real Ragnarok. I think what's going to happen is Buddha's going to lose the fight. And narratively, that would make a lot of sense because it would put a lot of the gods at ease because they would see, oh, Uh, We don't have to worry about this potential traitor anymore. But now he can go back and bring. All the fallen fighters. Except for Poseidon. Especially if you've read that fight. He's kind of a jerk. And that's when I think the true Ragnarok begins. So. Once that begins. Now. All chaos. And hell is going to break loose. And. And. With Buddha on the side of humanity. I think it might be really hard for the gods. Depending on what point in the story. That this occurs. If it does. Won't make it really really hard. For the gods to bounce back in my opinion. But. We'll see. And that's all I've got today. Um, This has been. Underground Mess Hall. Signing out.